I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. Thank you for joining me. This, I am so excited to have Ms. Darshan Kendrick with me, who is um, a JD MBA. She's a member of the Georgia House of Representatives. I'm going to let her tell you more about what she does. But she is a specialist in helping minorities and people of color get access to financing in addition to so many other things. So I've been doing a bunch of interviews on healthcare, and um, I'm so excited to get a different view on how COVID is affecting marginalized people in our society. So uh, Darshan, thank you so much for being here. Um, could you tell no us a little about yourself and, and um, the work that you do? And, and I know there's so much that you're passionate about, so feel free to share anything. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is something obviously that I'm very passionate about. And so I love to give out information and give uh, a different perspective of why it is that I, I do what I do every day and continue to help as many people as possible. Uh, so I'll, I'm a Georgia peach born and raised here in the state of Georgia. Um, currently serving my sixth, my sixth term um, in the Georgia House of Representatives and um, or going into my sixth term. And uh, I represent uh, about 54,000 Georgians each year making policy for the whole state of Georgia, which has about 10 million residents. Um, my day job, because it is a part-time legislature, is as a corporate attorney, which I've been doing for the last 13 years. Um, my specialty specifically is on um, investment and capital raising. So I help companies with capital compliance when they're going through a private securities raise um, and help them find alternative financing options. Um, and I'm very passionate about helping minorities and women founders um, through the capital raising process. And in addition to that, I am a registered investment advisor here in the state of Georgia. So I also help organizations and individuals uh, with their investment mm -hmm. strategy to make sure they can continue to generate wealth. And that is a part of the whole scheme when I talk about um, creating black wealth and closing the wealth gap. Um, so it's sort of full circle, both the legal side and the investment side. Um, but I work on a lot of small business advocacy and issues and things like that. Um, nothing warms my heart more uh, than to help generally underserved and ignored communities uh, gain access to capital markets, which is why my tagline in my signature is providing everyone access to capital markets. I think that's very important as we talk about generational wealth. Thank you. Wow. Um, that's so impressive and there's so much that you do. I don't know how you have time in the day to do all of that. So can you tell me a little bit about pre-COVID, what things were like if you were a woman, you know, in particular a woman of color, wanting to start a business or, or already owning a business, what are some of the obstacles that are, that are faced that people may not uh, realize are out there for people who think that everybody's got the same opportunities as everybody else. What are some things that even pre-COVID were, were issues? Yeah, so it's just the normal um, 
well, not normal, but the um, sort of biases that you normally hear about. Uh, there are obviously conscious bias that people have uh, based on their environment and just ignorance of uh, the world that we live in, but there's also subconscious bias. So it's, it's the reason, uh, you know, that more African-American men in this country um, are, have harsher sentences, longer sentences um, in our criminal justice system by, just by way of their appearance, um, appearing to a jury. Um, it's the same sort of thing, particularly for African-American women. So uh, one of the things my mom always said growing up is you have to work twice as hard as everyone else because you're black and you're a woman. Um, and a lot of that rings true, um, particularly when it comes to, to raising capital. Um, obviously, the the people that have access to capital are not going to typically look like black women. They're just not. So you're always going to have that barrier where the people that you're presenting to are not going to look like you. So that's sort of one bias. Um, and then the, the other one is um, sort of from a male perspective, there is still, and I see this a lot in politics and law, there's still um, this notion that women um, can't, can't, are not as rational as men. So they don't make as good business decisions as men. Um, and a lot of that, again, plays into our, the unconscious um, decisions that are made when somebody is, 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 is being presented to, to, to give money um, to a growing business. And, um, and so both women and women and people and women of color have that same um, barrier to get over when they're presenting to their male, their male counterparts. Um, and, still meeting in person. So I think the best example is how the money that I just um, referenced to under the CARES Act, $350 billion that was allocated, that's the best example that I can give about how um, unconscious discrimination discriminates unjustly against Black women. Because mm -hmm. what you have read and, and what we're finding out right now is that the way that the banks distributed the money, a lot of it was based on longevity of the relationship with the bank. It was based on credit worthiness, even though it was a forgivable loan. I will never understand why we are doing credit checks when it's a forgivable loan, but that's another issue. Um, and so what you have is black women don't have the sort of history that uh, our male white counterparts have when it comes to having a relationship with the bank. Uh, initially, some banks even said that you had to have a certain amount of loan credit with them to even apply. So again, another barrier where you're not gonna have black women that have um, these large lines of credit uh, with this bank for a long period of time. And so it 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 it's it not a, express form of discrimination, but what ends up happening through the policies that are implemented is that you discriminate against um, underserved and, um, and underutilized um, and, and unappreciated communities of color and, um, and of women. That reminds me of, uh, for testing for COVID, you have to have, for a, I think it might not be the same now, but you have to have a doctor's referral to get a test. Like it's just the barrier to access that is, right completely rigged against anyone who doesn't have access. Right. Um, so, okay, so that's really, so the, the banks were given all this money and now the banks are the ones in charge 
and the banks are falling back to all these <clears throat> lending practices that aren't relevant. They weren't relevant anyway, that were also barriers to access, but now they're using that consciously, unconsciously to decrease access. Because I know I, I, I uh, applied for one of those loans as a, as a small business owner, and it's really hard. I mean, I had an accountant go with me. I didn't have access to all the different stuff from my taxes. I didn't know how to fill it out, and the rules were changing every day. I still didn't get it, but the thought of how hard it must be for someone who might not have as much access to um, an accountant or, or anything else, it, it just kind of blows my mind. So what are some other ways that you're seeing COVID affecting um, small businesses, particularly uh, Black-owned and, and women-owned small businesses? Well, um, and this sort of gets into the health portion of it. So, of course, Governor Kemp yesterday um, essentially laxed all the shelter-in-place um, policies and procedures he, he had put in. First of all, we were one of the last states to do a shelter-in-place, and now we're one of the first and openly ones to open it back up. Um, and I posted on social media because I talk about black wealth and black um, businesses mm -hmm. all the time. And some people think there's a conflict with me saying it's too early and at the same time generating wealth. And I say, if you think about it from a rational standpoint, and I know I have access to a lot more information than normal people don't because of my position, but we are going to see a second wave. We've seen it in other countries. We're starting, we uh, are, are starting to see it in some, um, some, some other countries that opened up too early. So uh, we know, one, that it can happen. A second wave can happen. And what's going to end up happening is if we go back too early, Yes, those businesses are going to go out and those black businesses are going to open back up. But what you're going to see as soon as we hit a second wave is that um, uh, Georgians are going to be unemployed longer. The shutdown is going to be longer. People are going to be even more mad. The state is going to have to spend even more money on testing and unemployment. So it actually sets us back to open up too early so that businesses can get started again. So um, what this ends up doing is disproportionately affecting um, black businesses because once we hit that second wave and we go to that longer period of time, we're not talking about, uh, again, businesses that have been in business for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? We're talking about businesses that just got started up in the last couple of years. So their cash flows are not going to survive a second wave. And most of those businesses are going to be black businesses. Mm -hmm. Atlanta has the it has the number one concentration of black owned businesses in the nation. Number one, Atlanta. Where mm -hmm. in Georgia, we are for the third year in the world, um, we are the second fastest um, growing state with female entrepreneurs. So I think they are going to be hit as well because females mm -hmm. generally don't ask for capital. They don't ask for um, as much in, um, in startup loans um, just because of the way that we have been uh, associated as, as, um, as females. So I think that it's not only going to set back uh, black businesses, but also a lot of uh, female businesses. And it's going to be felt even more because we're in the state of Georgia and because we have those statistics with, uh, with black businesses and female owned businesses. That's a really good point. So it's a matter of, of pride and accomplishment that we have those high numbers, but it's also going to disproportionately affect business owners right. in, in Atlanta and in Georgia. 
Um, I want to ask you a question, not because I believe this, but I would like to get your take for anyone listening who says, why all the focus on black businesses aren't all businesses important? You want to answer that because I feel like that's a question that people ask that makes me want to like rage and scream. Do you, have, do you get asked that a lot? And is that something that um, people have a hard, do you find that people have a hard time understanding that that's actually not racist? Right. So, you know, people who say that to me, I'll, I always do an analogy of like, they were just like, they just were born yesterday and we're going to forget like all history. Now, if we forget all history, <laughs> Your point makes exact sense, right? We're all on an evil playing field. Um, there is no discrimination. Um, we don't, America doesn't have this horrible history. But for the fact that we have over 250 years of history in which we have to take it in context. So we right. can't consider Black businesses and how important they are in a vacuum. We can't consider it from the last year, the last five years, the last 10 years. Um, historically, just to be honest, um, there has not been as much opportunity for, for Black businesses to thrive, one. And two, as I just stated before, there are still unconscious uh, consequences that come as a result of our history in being a Black business. So until such time as America um, has put everybody on the playing field, it's going to be really important to highlight Black businesses um, so that we are able to um, let people know that our, our services are here and that we should be, and that we should be, um, patronized. There is nothing, you know, racist in saying I specifically want to support a black business because in, in the history of the country, they have had so much trouble mm -hmm. getting support. Um, and so, you know, some people are going to understand that argument. Some people are not, and I do not fool with those people who do not. If you, <laughs> if you ignore history, you and I are not going to have a conversation because I don't waste time trying to give a history lesson right, right. 150 years. I'm not doing it. It's not even just the history. It's the present. I mean, it's still happening. You know, the history, of course, is, is what's making the present the present. But it's not like that was in the past and, and it's not continuing now. So um, I always just find myself you know, shocked when, when, when people have those, those thoughts. So thank you for sharing your opinion about that. And it's something that I know is very, um, like it's triggering, you know, that's like a, when people say stuff like that, it's really, it's hard even for me to hear. Um, okay. So talk to me a little bit about, um, about what, what first, I guess what people can do if they want to support black businesses. Um, I guess that might be one potential solution. So what, what can people do to help support minority and women business, uh, small business owners? How can they support from home now as we're all, well, some of, I guess <laughs> we can now choose, I guess, if we want to shelter in place. But um, as most of us, I think, are continuing to let science and, and rational leaders uh, help us determine what we're going to do. Um, what can we do from home to help support and, and um, moving forward after COVID? How can we support um, Black and women-owned businesses? 
Yeah, so um, that's a good question. Thank you for that. So one of the things that I try to do personally, because obviously not everything that I buy or shop from is a, is a black business, but I try to be very, very intentional uh, about making sure that um, not only that I share information on social media, I try to once a day um, to share something that a black entrepreneur is doing either in the state of Georgia, uh, which we have a lot of those are doing elsewhere. Um, with a link to their website so you can go on and look at their products and things like that. So a lot of this is just being intentional and saying, uh, you know, um, I need some more soap and I, I would like to support a black business. So let me find a black business that makes soap. Um, and it's just the little things, you know, that, that, that you can do about being um, in, intentional about that. And listen, we are in Georgia where 30% of the population is African-American. So anybody who tells you they can't find a, somebody who's black and qualified in any industry is just lying. Yeah. Um, so, um, so luckily, we live in a state where it's not that hard walking to a restaurant, or go to a barbershop or, or to buy a product or anything um, that supports uh, a black business. And, you know, that black business is paying taxes and, and supporting this community and doing everything that a non-black business is doing. Um, so, you know, give them, give them a try and, um, and, and, and they have, you know, bills and, and family to take care of just like anybody else. So it's important that we support everybody um, in our community, but particularly, um, those black businesses who don't have the same historical perspective as everyone else. Are there um, websites where black owned businesses are, are referenced that you know of? There is, it's called We Buy Black, www.webuyblack. Um, and it's ran by somebody who is here in the state of Georgia. Uh, he, uh, they used to have a, um, building in East Point, and I think they were considering going to DeKalb County. I know the uh, founder. And um, and the cool thing about that is they do, they are working with uh, a black uh, farmer um, to supply, to, to open up a um, grocery store. Um, so that's pretty cool. But they have all types of cool things on there that you can um, take a look at. And, um, you know, it just, uh, you know, and this, and especially during this time, it's just important that we, particularly support, um, you know, micro businesses and startup businesses. And a lot of those are going to be female owned and minority owned. Um, so you can spread the wealth across a group, a sector of people. Okay. And, and, okay. So let's imagine I'm a powerful white male businessman and I'm like, whatever, like I, it, how, what can I do in my role? Someone who's very established and has a lot of access. What can people who don't realize that, or maybe starting to realize the privilege that they have, what can people in those positions of power do to help increase opportunity for, for people who are very well deserving, who don't have the same access? Yeah, you have to, I mean, you, again, going back to the previous question, you really have to be intentional because a lot of times we get in our own um, sort of bubble and way of doing things and and it's not it's not intentional you're not intentionally trying to ignore a race or gender it's just you're going through the motions and you have things on your mind and you're just you're just flowing with it and so you always have to stop and 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 give yourself a pause to think about um is what i'm putting out and what i'm doing reflecting the best 
um, that we have to offer? Does it reflect Georgia? Does it reflect our, our target mar market? Um, I mean, um, on the TAG board, I uh, TAG Corporate Development Board, I'm the only African-American woman. Um, and so uh, as much as the board might hate for me to always bring it up, every time we plan an event, I'm always like, where are the people of color? Because what happens is I get a flyer and I send it out to my people. And guess what the number one question is coming from a black woman that talks about black wealth? Where are the black people? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's been a struggle for me to get people to participate or to understand why I'm on this board when the, uh, when, when the, the events end up looking the same. Now, um, I, I don't think anybody is doing that intentionally, again, but it's just because, um, you know, we're not stopping to think about, does this reflect 30% African-American businesses in Georgia or does it just reflect a certain portion and so I you know one of my things that I'm very intentional about is asking every time we have an event does this reflect Georgia if it doesn't look like Georgia I'm already gonna tell you now you're not gonna get any help from me besides me attending because my audience is gonna ask me the same question that I don't have an answer for right right and I, I know that's a lot too I, I can't say I know that's a lot uh, I can imagine that's a lot for you to have to take on every time you're in a in a position, uh, you know, where you have power to bring that up. But I'm so grateful that you do, and I hope that that more and more people who don't look like you will start to be be more aware of that, and not just aware, but actually taking action. I know you did. It looks like you you you've um, started some uh, other conferences that do help black business owners. The Georgia Blacks and and Tech Policy Conference. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is a collaboration. I got really interested in technology, um, obviously, because I raised uh, do capital compliance in Georgia's Atlanta Black Tech Hub. Um, and so whenever I am going around talking to businesses, um, obviously I'm biased, but the one thing that I cannot seem to get um, a lot of business owners to realize um, particularly in the black community, unfortunately, and that has a history that is a whole nother webinar, but the importance of getting involved in policy. It's not Democrat, it's not Republican, it is good policy that affects and helps your business. And so um, I put this together three years ago with um, Rodney Sampson, who used to be a partner at um, Tech Square Labs and Councilman Andre Dickens with the Atlanta City Council. And we said, where is an environment where we can bring elected officials, um, mostly black elected officials with the Atlanta black community to talk about policy and how do we support these businesses? And so we've done a conference, a free conference at City Hall for the last three years. Um, our last speaker was the Lieutenant Governor, Jeff Duncan. Before that was Ashley Bell, this SBA Regional Director. Um, and so um, every year we get into groups and talk about policy and how to strengthen our Atlanta Black tech ecosystem. I sort of filtered through it and see what policy things I can come up with. I propose bills. Obviously, this session, nothing's going to get passed. I had a cybersecurity bill. That's probably not going to, get, mm -hmm. going to happen at this point because of the session in COVID-19. Um, but we passed something our first year centered around a PR campaign to get more um, African-American kids and students and, um, and parents um, interested in technology jobs so that they can um, sort of 
see that as an option as it's the wave of the future. Um, and then every year we have a day of action where we invite those same people and the general public up to the state capitol um, for a day of action, as it's, it says, where you talk with your legislator, you meet them for the first, second, third time, um, you tell them what you want, you want them to do with respect to the Atlanta Black Tech community. This year we talked about cybersecurity and had Facebook there to talk about data privacy, and they did a, a, a exclusive lunch training with legislators. Um, so it's always a good time just to meet people to see what the community um, has uh, is talking mm -hmm. about, and really connect them with um, legislators to to let them know what it is they want us to do yeah. and how we can support them. It's so nice to know how accessible you are because I mean I always hear this, and I, whenever I try to contact like. United States senators, I'm just getting a voicemail or maybe I'm getting a person, but I feel like I'm, my voice isn't being heard. So it's so great to know that you're so available and interested in, in what people are, what people need. What's it been like for you as a Georgia Congresswoman to be dealing with COVID and, and, and yeah, I mean, this is a very timely interview because yesterday we're, we're opening some small businesses now, we've already talked about that a little bit, but what's it like for you as a lawmaker dealing with this time? Um, and what what is it, we, we talked a little bit about some of the letters that you've sent, so if you wanna talk about that a little bit, but what are you doing as a lawmaker to um, maintain a voice of reason during all of this and try to, uh, yeah. Try to, try to do things in a, in a rational, orderly way that, that are not necessarily done. Well, you know, most of it is just giving out information because obviously I'm restricted on what I can do. Um, so I'm giving out a lot of information on my social media, my e-newsletter. Um, I'm writing a lot of letters. Uh, like I said, the letter I wrote to congressional leadership about how to um, appropriately allocate their next round of financing for small businesses. I'm writing a letter to the Department of Labor right now to make sure that those who fear for their safety and the safety of others are still able to get unemployment benefits um, as the state, for whatever reason, decides to open up. Um, and so a lot of what I do is um, on the phone. So I have a two o'clock phone call with the University System of Georgia to talk about student credits and and tuition. Um, so I am on the phone a lot. I write a lot of letters. I post a lot of stuff, uh, uh, information. So it's been um, it's been extremely busy. And I try to just give out as much information as and be as helpful in this position as possible, because people do have a lot of questions. Um, obviously, my focus is on small business um, and the um, empl employee side. So whenever anybody has a question about anything related to small business, of course, I get the call from my, my colleagues in the house. Um, and, um, but I also wanna make sure that people realize that just because uh, you know I'm a Democrat and I support small businesses, that um, employees have a role, a vital role to play in this, in this economy and, um, and, should be, and should be taken care of as well. Mm -hmm. All right, well, so how can people, find, I mean, you've mentioned your social media, so what, what are the best ways that people want to learn about all the, the great stuff that you're, the content that you're putting out, um, or if they want to um, work with you in your non-government job? Um, what are what are what best ways for people to contact you or follow and um, learn from everything that you have to offer? 
Yeah, so the best way is social media. So on most of my social media, it's just at Darsha and Kendrick. Um, I'm hilarious if you want to get ever get on Twitter. Um, so it's just Darshan, D-A-R-S-H-U-N, Kendrick, K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, which, uh, of course, um, I try to keep more policy than I do politics um on linkedin because i have a, a large following on linkedin but you can follow me on there i'm an open networker so um i don't need your email address or to know you in order um to communicate with you because i just like uh helping people um but my website for my um legislative updates and where you can see a copy of the letters that i send and just keep up with COVID 19 information is www.kendrick for for georgia georgia spelled out.com or you can go to my law firm slash investment advisory firm uh, which is just www.kaag.co um and so since i'm at home i have been doing uh, some things on the legislative side as a part of my job and then for my law firm um and investment advisory firm i have two free events coming up if you go into the events tab one is to um, give information about Georgia's Invest Georgia exemption, where you can raise up to $5 million um, in, in the state of Georgia. A lot of people don't know about this program, but the Secretary of State's Securities Division is going to have a representative on the mm -hmm. phone calls to talk about if you qualify and what you need to do in order to be able to raise up to $5 million under that exemption. So uh, that's going to be next Monday at 2 o'clock. And it's free and open to the public until uh, we get overwhelmed and we're going to shut down the um, the sign up. And then May 16th, which is Saturday, I'm talking about the four cornerstones of investing. Um, I could do a whole nother webinar about the markets, the volatility and what you should be doing. Um, I'm going to talk about the four cornerstones of investing for people who are wary right now and for people who um, see an opportunity and want to continue to invest in the market. Okay, that sounds amazing. So I'll I'll post the um the links for all that stuff um in the in the description of the for this interview on YouTube. Um, well, Darshan, thank you so so much for taking the time. I know you've got a million things going on and uh, very much more important things to do than to talk to me. But thank you so much for for making the time um, and for really just doing all the work you do and explaining it to. Um, financial stuff to me in a way that I can understand because no I, I don't speak financial language. So um, thank you so much. And um, thanks for all that you're doing for our state and for our community um, and, and for small businesses. No problem. Thank you for having me. You stay safe out there. Okay. Thanks. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts, and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D, and please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.